morning. The scripture reading is uh, from Matthew 16, verses 21 to 27. It is on page 798 of the Pew Bible. Jesus predicts his death. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hand of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and then he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, and you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for the soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. This is the reading of God's word. morning. Uh, just before I start, just to clarify, so we have a thing called Lent, which is 40 days before Easter that we celebrate. And as you've noticed, uh, Jeremy mentioned home groups. So what we're doing for those 40 days before Lent is we're having a thing called, we call it the common curriculum, where we try to study like kind of the same book together. And so the, the sermon series and the book that we study, we try to complement that. And so we're doing that again. And so we'll have different groups set up and some of them will be ongoing home groups, but you could just sign up for six weeks. So it's not a, a lifetime commitment, but just for six weeks to be part of uh, this study. Uh, it's a good way to prepare for Easter as we enter into Lent. So if you're interested in signing up, it's online. We have different nights uh, and, and uh, places available for you. So um, you could check that out. And if you have questions, you can speak to Emily. We'll be uh, going through the book called The Selfless Way of Christ by Henry Nouwen. So it's, a, it's not a hard read, very accessible. And so if you ever were wanting to read something about Nouwen or from Nouwen, this is uh, one way to do so. So that's my plug. And we'll start. There was a man who was <clears throat> very unsatisfied with his life. He was a scholar and knew many things of the world, but he became depressed because it just wasn't enough. All that studying, all that gaining of knowledge, and yet he felt so depressed that he was willing to take his life, and so he tried, but he failed. He calls on the devil for further knowledge and magic powers, and he says to the devil, look, I need more. I need something more. So he makes a deal with the devil. 
And he makes a bargain with, with him that uh, for 25 years, the devil will help him and give him everything he wants. But after that, he would have to serve the devil for eternity. And so this person by the name of Faust, I don't know if you've ever heard of the name Faust. It's a character from a long time ago. It's an urban legend. And there are a variety of kind of stories based on Faust. Makes this deal with the devil Mephistopheles. I've practiced that word a few times, Mephistopheles, right? He makes a deal with Mephistopheles, and one of the things he wants to do is seduce this woman named Gretchen because she was so beautiful and innocent and would love this person to love him back or to um, be in relationship with him. So, so he seduces her with the help of the devil. They uh, come together. They have a child, but then as, you, as would happen when you make a deal with the devil, right? It never turns out well, right? You think it's gonna, you're, you're going to get everything you want, but yet things start falling apart. And in the story, uh, Gretchen, who has this child, is full of guilt and goes crazy and then, and then and kills the son, and, and then she later kills herself and so on and so forth. And so his world falls apart. The story and stories like it Tell a lesson about the lure of what we desire and the foolishness of making that deal with the devil where we believe we could gain the world without losing our souls. It's interesting. I was looking up to see, like, you know, I'm trying to find books on about losing your soul and that kind of stuff. And here's some titles that I found of books online about our souls. One, uh, how to find a soulmate without losing your soul. Winning well, a manager's guide to getting results without losing your soul. Public relations ethics, how to practice PR without losing your soul. Another one, how to be a graphic designer without losing your soul. I would say they, they don't have a book on this. They should have a book called How to Be a Good Politician Without Losing Your Soul. You know, this this. Uh, there's a book called How to Lead a Church Without Losing Your Soul or How to Plant a Church Without Losing Your Soul. We're in a series called uh, Questions of Jesus where we're looking at, this, at some of the questions that Jesus asked his followers. This week we're looking at the question, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What good is it to gain the whole world but lose your soul? One thing to talk about here is the word soul. The Greek word for soul here is the word psyche, from which we get the word psychology. The word soul doesn't mean what we think it means in terms of it being about just something that's inside of us, right? Like our, we have our bodies and we have our souls and they're two separate things. <clears throat> Rather, the word soul here can be translated as your self or your whole life. Usually, actually, the most common way that this word is translated is life in the New Testament. And the Greek word uh, that also comes, uh, that we translate the word into soul is the word, I mean, not Greek, sorry, Hebrew word is nefesh, which uh, means soul or a living being. So it's this idea beyond this thing of like our souls that's separate from our bodies, but rather, when we see soul here, Jesus isn't trying to separate our bodies from our souls, but rather speaking about the whole person, our, our, in, our inner being, our, our bodies, everything in between. 
So Jesus isn't saying what good is it to gain the world and lose your eternal soul, but rather what good is it to gain the whole world but lose your life? And one of the things we, we need to recognize is that that idea of like body and soul is actually a Greek thought. It's not a Christian thought. Plato and, and, and others afterwards really believed that we had these two things. We had our, our bodies and we had our souls. And our souls was what was pure and, and clean. And our body was what was bad and wrong and, and evil in the world. And sometimes we kind of still have that like come into our own uh, in Christian thought where we separate the body and soul. But Christians actually believe that the body is good, that God created it to be good. So that body and soul isn't as separate as we think we are. So when, whenever you hear the word soul now, I hope you think of it in that way, that it's not a two separate thing, but of your whole self. But that, back to that question of Jesus, what good is it to gain the whole world but lose your soul? Well, to be honest, there's a lot of good to gain, Right? I can have all the toys in the world, you know? I can have the biggest house, the nicest car. I can be famous. I, ha- I could have millions of people following me on Insta. I can also make, the, make a diff- Instagram for those of you that may not know what Insta is, but Instagram, yeah. Anyways, all right. Uh, right? I can also make a difference in the world, right? Like, I, you know, uh, be a good person and still be famous. You know, I almost, like, I could win the lottery. Have you ever done this where you say, you know, all these people who win the lottery, you hear about how their life turns out for the worse and stuff. But I'm like, you know what, though? If I won the lottery, I wouldn't be like that, right? I would set up a, a foundation and care for poor people, right? You know, I'd take my friends and family on trips and buy a big house anyway. Well, I wouldn't buy a huge house, but a house that's, you know, maybe a little bit better than what I own now. Maybe get that nice car that I've always wanted, right? But then, right, you're like, I wouldn't be like those people, right? And we see the same thing about famous people. All these famous people, they have everything they want, and yet their lives are in ruin. See, I, if I was famous, I would be one of those good famous people, like, uh, like, like kind of like uh, Keanu Reeves famous, right? right? Where, you know, I, I, would, I would just be a good person, right? And we say that to ourselves. We wouldn't be like those people. They, they, they just don't know how to be rich or how to, how to be famous, right? What good is it to gain the whole world but lose your soul? Well, it depends. Well, it, it really depends on how dishonest I have to be. Well, can I be a little bit selfish? Maybe a little bit self-centered? Well, for that, I don't mind. I'm not a murderer. I'm not going to kill people over it. You know, I'm not going to take millions of dollars off of people. But what if it's just like a slight, you know, ethical thing where you just like, you know, let something slide? And if I could gain the world by letting something slide, sure, why not, right? It's not no, there's no harm done to anyone else. The truth is that for some reason, we think that we can make that deal with the devil. That we think that we can, in fact, gain the whole world and still save our souls. We believe that we can have it all and still be able to stay true to who we are in, in Jesus. But yet, Jesus here says something very different. Jesus is asking the question to the disciples because he knows that we can't gain the whole world without losing our souls. That we can't, in fact, have it all unless we want to give up our humanity, our God-given goodness. If we are to be people who live out the ethic and the lifestyle that Jesus wants us to live, we can't gain the whole world and keep our souls. 
Yet we try, right? We try to live our lives as if we can. We want to prove Jesus wrong. No, Jesus, you don't, you don't really know what you're talking about. Let me just show you how I can actually do it all. I even came across this one article, which I found ironic, by a Christian uh, woman who wrote this article saying, with a title that says, Gain the Whole World and Not Lose Your Soul. And, you know, when I read it, actually, good principles, nothing wrong with what she said in the thing. But she is using, she's basically saying the opposite of what Jesus says in the Bible. You can't gain the whole world and keep your soul, and yet she's playing off that to say, yeah, actually, you can gain the whole world and not lose your soul. You know, someone else told Jesus that he was wrong. We see in our story today that Peter decided to pull Jesus aside to let him know what's up, right? Just a few minutes before the scene, <clears throat> Peter had answered this question of, who am I? And Peter responded, you are the Messiah. <clears throat> if you want to hear about that talk, uh, Greg did that talk last week, so you can listen to that. <clears throat> and then Jesus said, yes, you're right, I am the Messiah, and on you, Peter, the rock, I will build my church. And then right after that, Peter, uh, uh, Jesus says this, you know, the Messiah will have to suffer, die, and, um, and three days later be raised from the dead. And so Peter takes him aside and, and says to Jesus, um, Jesus, you know, you must be mistaken about who the Messiah is, right? The Messiah is supposed to come and save us. He's supposed to liberate us from the Roman rule. He's supposed to be a mighty warrior, not the suffering servant. And you told me I'm going to be your, you know, like right-hand man who's going to build this new church. I don't want, what, what, what are you thinking? If you're going to suffer and die, then what does that mean for me as your right-hand man? Do I have to suffer and die? Well, I didn't sign up for that, Jesus. I was thinking you're the Messiah who's going to reign, and then I'm going to also reign with you and, and be, you know, on, on top. And so he pulls Jesus aside and says, Jesus, let's, let's uh, figure this out. And we see what Jesus says. Jesus responds to Peter and says to him, get behind me, Satan. Satan, who tested Jesus in the wilderness with this kind of power and prestige and, and honor. The same Satan who had said to Adam and Eve, did Jesus, um, did God really say you couldn't eat from the, that tree? The same Satan who feeds lies to the world and to our souls is rebuked by Jesus in this story. Psalm 62 do not trust in extortion or put vain hope in stolen goods. Though your riches in increase, do not set your heart on them. One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard. Power belongs to you, God, and with you, Lord, is unfailing love. And you reward everyone according to what they have done. Can you gain the whole world without losing your soul? We've seen countless examples of people who have cheated, extorted, and have climbed to the top only to be discovered later of their lives, their dishonesty, where, where their humanity had been lost, where their wealth, their trust, and riches of this world led to the loss of their God-given image. Uh, I just recently started watching the Jeffrey Epstein documentary on Netflix, and he was this man who was charismatic, who had billions of dollars, who were hanging out with presidents and influential people of the world, only to later find out that, you know, he, he was uh, sex trafficking and, and later died in jail. Uh, in the documentary, it starts that 
how did this all happen? And really, it started with a single lie. He, he started teaching at this prestigious school, and the only way he got into the school to teach was that he lied about who he was. He wasn't a teacher, but somehow, I guess he put it on his resume that he was a teacher and got into the school and taught and influenced people, and, and the rest is history. So whether it's like someone like him or Harvey Weinstein or even some of these famous pastors who've been caught for, for their scandal, we've seen over and over, over again that people who cut corners, who extort or put their hope in gaining the world will lose themselves. And this is what the psalmist is saying here. Who will you put your trust in? Will it be in God or will it be in something else? And if you noticed... Jesus quotes from the verse 12 of Psalm 62 in our passage today. Matthew 16, 27. For the Son of Man is coming to come, the Son of Man is going to come in his, in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Jesus quotes from Psalm 62 to get to the heart of the question In whom will we put our trust in? Will it be in material wealth, prestige, and power, or will it be in Jesus, the, suf the suffering Messiah? Peter the rock in which the church will be built on wasn't ready for this suffering Messiah. He wasn't ready for such a Messiah because he, as the disciple of such a Messiah, would then have to also follow in the footsteps of Jesus and suffer. I wondered if this psalm was on Jesus' mind while he was addressing Peter and the disciples. As some of you know, Peter's name means the rock. And look at what it says in Psalm 62, verse 1, and then also verse 5. <clears throat> Truly my soul finds, is, uh, finds rest in God. My, sa my salvation comes from him. Truly his, my, he is my rock. Oh my goodness, I can't read. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. And then verse 5, yes, my soul find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. Remember that word I mentioned about Hebrew in the, the word Hebrew for soul, which is nefesh, which is the Greek equivalent to the soul in the New Testament? Here in Psalm 62, it's mentioned twice uh, of my soul finding his rest in God in verse 1 and, 1 and 5. It's as if Jesus had the psalm on his mind as he spoke to Peter the rock. Peter, instead of being lured by what it means to be a leader of this new religious regime where you could be the right hand of, of Jesus, you need to recognize the kingdom of God, the kingdom where Jesus is the Messiah is, is a different kind of kingdom. In this kingdom, we find our life, our whole selves when we lose it. To be my disciple isn't to become a religious leader of a church where you have prestige and honor, but rather in this kingdom, my disciples will need to lose their life. They will need to carry the cross and deny themselves. Matthew 16, 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. The word here for life that you see in these verses is the same Greek word for soul that we talked about, psyche. 
Jesus asks his disciples the question, what good is it to gain the world but lose your soul or your life? Within the context of following Jesus as his disciples, Jesus says to become a Christian, to be a disciple of Jesus, we need to deny ourselves, take up the cross, and follow Jesus. And to take up the cross, that phrase, to take up the cross back then, isn't the way we or some of us uh, in our current uh, circumstance would use that phrase, right? We see things like, my coworkers are such jerks. That's the cross I have to bear, right? I hate being stuck in tra- traffic. I guess that's the cross I have to bear, right? I have chronic back pain. Well, for me, I guess that's the cross I have to bear. To the disciples, the cross wasn't some nuance or annoyance in, in people's lives. It wasn't something, some kind of incurable d- disease even or, or a hardship that was you know, very hard. To carry the cross when, when the disciples would have heard it was, it to, go, was to go and die. To carry the cross was a form of punishment that only the, the worst uh, criminals or traitors would have faced. So when, she, when the disciples heard the phrase, you have to deny yourself and carry the cross to follow me, would have been, wait, I need to carry the cross like the criminals and, and be crucified? Like I have to die? That's what it means to carry the cross. So uh, a thing to encourage you sometimes, I know it's, it's like in our vernacular, is to really think of that when you talk about whatever nuance, nuance, uh, nuance, nuisance or annoyance you may face, right? Like, it's not, that's not the cross you're bearing for Jesus, okay? Let's, let's, uh, let's just say that's just annoying. It's, that's probably the best way. So to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus, is to give up our lives. To be a Christian isn't a commitment to go to church once a week and to volunteer. To follow Jesus is much more demanding. It is a call to give up our whole lives. It is a call to death, to die to ourselves so that we can have life in God. To follow Christ isn't simple or easy. It is a matter of life and death. It is all demanding, all encompassing, because God doesn't just want a little bit of you. He wants all of you. What good is it to gain the world but lose your soul? Or another way to ask the question is, what of this world is worth dying for? Is fame worth dying for? Is money worth dying for? Is prestige worth dying for? Are any of these things actually worth your life? Like, is it really worth dying for money if you think about it? Like, I I know some of you may have heard of this, you know, people who uh, take pictures, selfies by a cliff, and you hear of them falling off and dying. Is it really worth taking a selfie to maybe get some likes on Instagram? Is that really worth dying for? No, right? We would say no. Even the house, say you, 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 work your, uh, you work really hard, spend your whole life being able to afford this house. And, you know, you're, all you're doing is paying rent or, I mean, mortgage and, and all, all the money that goes into it, all that time and effort spent for that house. But yet next day you die. Is that really worth dying for? We, we, would, we all know the, uh, the answer to that question. We would say no. 
Like, what is worth dying for? I thought about it. What, what's really worth dying for? And I was thinking, well, yeah, you know what? My children. I would give up my life for my children, right? Or someone very, that, that you love. Like, I wouldn't die for, like, people that I like, right? Like, like really, to, if we're honest, right? We're not going to give up our lives for someone that we kind of like, right? We're going to just, it's going to be, like, the ones we really love and care for. We will die for them. So I think that's the question we need to ask ourselves. Is it really worth dying for? Because if it's not worth dying for, it's not worth living for. If it's not worth dying for, it's not worth living for. But I was thinking, why don't we flip that question? So the question is then, is Jesus worth dying for? Right? Because Jesus needs to be worth dying for for us to be worth living for for him. And sometimes that is a hard question. That is a hard question to ask ourselves. Are we really willing to die for Jesus? Because that is the call of discipleship. That's the call to be a Christian when he calls us. Are we willing to die for him? But to flip that question is to ask also, well, then what is worth it for Jesus? What would Jesus think is worth dying for? Right? And to me, that is the good news. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. Because we believe that God so loved the world, he sent his son to die for us. Because we're worth dying for. So he came as a human being, fully God, fully, fully man, came to be with us because we were worth living for and dying for. That's why we could respond to, to that call and invitation of Jesus because he already died for us. And that is the good news. Um, one question that came to my mind, though, while I was thinking about this, too, is then does Jesus want us to not, like, have anything in this world? Are we not supposed to care about our family, take care of them, put uh, food on the table? Originally, when I was thinking about the question to uh, consider this morning, the question I thought of was, uh, you know, the question that Jesus asked is, why are you so worried about your life? You know, why, why are you so worried about what you eat, what you will wear? And that was the question that I was originally thinking of. But when I thought about that question, the question behind that question to me was this question. Because in, the, in that question, the one where, where Jesus, is, Jesus asks, why do you worry about what you wear and what you will eat and um, what you will drink? He says, look at the uh, lilies of the field. They don't care about that. They, they just live and they thrive, right? Or birds of the air. They're not worried about how, what are they going to eat next, but they just do eat. And Jesus says, if God will take care of those things, he will also take care of you. And so that's why... I thought, you know what, that question isn't, isn't the real question. The question behind that question is, what do we actually, um, what, what's worth living and dying for? Because that will matter more. Because Jesus says, those things, we, gee, he, God knows that those things matter to us, that those things are necessary, and he will take care of those things. But he says, focus on the kingdom of God, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all of those things will be added onto you. Those God isn't, so I think this is the problem. Sometimes even I do this. We treat God like the devil. We think if we 
follow and do what Jesus will say. He'll take everything away from us and make our lives worse. But we know Jesus, I mean, the devil is the one who makes that deal with us, lures us with all these riches and fame and things of this world, and then twists it to take our lives away. The way we know that we are following the right God is when we follow the God that we were supposed to follow, it leads to thriving. That's the mystery, is that when we die to ourselves and deny ourselves, there's a mystery where that, in turn, does lead to life. It leads to resurrection, leads to hope and joy and, and the ability to serve. The, th- the things of this world isn't bad, though. Uh, that's the other thing I want to make uh, a note of. Uh, and and th- maybe that's why we're so drawn to it, because it is so good. God had, has made things of this world to be good. It only becomes bad when we make the good the ultimate good. Right? It is good, but it's not the ultimate good. So that's the difference. Uh, I want to end our time with the story uh, of the picture of Dorian Gray. Have you ever heard of that uh, book? I've always heard of the book. I've never read it. But the, and just the gist of the story, and I'm going to get some of the details wrong, is that this man by the name of Dorian Gray has a painting of him uh, painted by someone. And, and, when, and it's like uh, when he's young, he's beautiful and pretty, pretty and, and good-looking, all those things. All right, and, and uh, the Dorian Gray decides to make a deal, deal with the devil, which is, which is personified by another person. And the, the deal he makes is that instead of him getting old, that the picture of Dorian Gray would get old. So he makes this deal with, with uh, the devil. And for 18 years, he stays young and lives his life any way he wants. You know, he's chasing after women. He's, he's partying, he's living life up. And the way he lives is impacting those around him in negative ways where, you know, people are dying and committing suicide, all these other things. And he, yet he stays very young. But the picture of Dorian Gray is the picture that every time he does these things, actions, and tries to gain the world, that the picture starts to degrade. It starts to age, but becomes deformed. And it gets to a place uh, in his life where after 18 years, it's so disfigured that it's unrecognizable. You can't tell it's Dorian Gray. And I love that story because that, to me, that's a, a very good analogy of what we've been learning this morning, is that Dorian Gray was gaining the world. On the outside, he looked still the same. He still had his youth, yet his soul, who he was, Become to a, came to a place where it was unhumane, like where it was not recognizable. And to me, that's a great image of what Jesus calls us to and to that question, uh, what good is it to gain the whole world but lose your soul? What good is it to gain the whole world but lose your soul? Let's pray. Jesus, uh, it's so hard sometimes uh, to trust you when we hear lies from the devil, the lies that says that we can actually gain the world 
and still keep our soul. That happiness lies in, in the things of this world and not in you. And it is really hard sometimes, Jesus, for us to trust you, to give up our lives for you. So give us faith. Give us that little bit of first step in following you. We know that Peter and the disciples didn't have it all figured out. And we ourselves don't have it figured out. But we want to follow you. Help our unbelief. Give us faith when we don't have faith. Help us to trust you when there are so many other things that's demanding and asking for our trust. At the same time, help us to remember that you thought we were worthy enough, that we were worth it to die for us, to come and give us life. We want to hold on to, hold on to that truth that you love us that much. And that death is not the end. Self-denial is not bad. But that through those things, through giving up of our lives, just as you did, that it leads to resurrection. It leads to life everlasting. So help us to see that and and claim that and and, um, hold that as we continue to walk with you and follow you. In your name, amen.